I need to know everything Who and the what and the where I need everything Trust me, I hear what you're saying But act like it's new what you're telling me I'm curious, George I hop in the Porsche with five and a horse I'm ready for war I'm coming for throws To turn to a ghost I need to know everything Now you'll be surprised At the info you get Is by letting them talk Hey everyone I'm Ashley Asty, And I'm curious Aren't you? I'm Curious Podcast brings the unfamiliar closer. I'm telling stories and sharing conversations with people who remind us that love demands we move toward justice and that we're all connected. This opening music is called Curious George by Nate Rose. All right, let's get to it. I'm ready for smoke. I need to know everything. Who and the what and the where I need everything. Trust me, I hear what you're saying, but I like it's new what you're telling me. I'm curious, George. I hop in the Porsche with five and a horse. I'm ready for war. I'm coming for throws to turn to a ghost. I need to know everything. Now they ain't go harder than me. This episode is about finding joy, sometimes in unexpected places, about everyday activism, and about threshold moments. At 40 years old, my guest Onika Mays found herself in limbo. After walking away from a great paying job with all the perks she could never have imagined possible for herself when she was younger, she found herself in the middle of a crowded, sweaty, hot yoga class in New York City and on a threshold. In the throes of chair pose, she realized that she didn't know the way forward, but she knew in that moment that it wasn't what she had been doing, the way it had lied outside her comfort zone. Today, Onika is a mindfulness coach working full-time in Rikers Island Correctional Facility in New York, a jail, and every day she explores the grayness of finding joy and connection in a jail, while also believing that the overall oppressive system must crumble. She told me, joy does sometimes exist in conjunction with pain or with sorrow, and we have to allow that to happen. Ugh, this is a good one. I hope... Onika sparks your own joy and and encourages you to reimagine what healing looks like and who deserves it. So let's get to it. I am just so grateful to have you here. I was we were talking before and I was just like I liked your vibe from the moment that we first started connecting so I've been eagerly looking forward to this conversation. Oh cool. I'm so glad. I'm I'm really so glad. I'm always so um I think ex- excited and honored and humble just when people want to talk to me about the work that I do. Um, I, I just feel like it's really important. So I'm glad to be here today. Oh, <laughs> so when we had spoken on the phone last week, sort of talking about what we might want to explore in this conversation, I was asking you what's energizing you most right now. And you said mm-hmm. finding joy, finding mm-hmm. joy in all its different forms. And so I actually want to take it back. I'm wondering when you were growing up, were you a kid that was naturally inclined to joy? Like, did it come easily to you? Oh, wow. That's such a good question. Um, I think yes and no. Um, I think, I think I was always, um, inclined to laugh. Um, you know, as a kid, I had some sexual trauma growing up. So I think there was a part of me that wanted to find joy um, even though there was kind of a whole part of me that I kept secret for a really long time until I talked to like my parents and sort of came out with like what happened to me. Um, but I will say, I think so much of my life um, did have a lot of joy. I, I, um, I'm blessed or grateful or whatever you want to call it that I had two incredible parents and um, I think the greatest siblings on the planet. So uh-huh a lot of my life was magical in ways that um, I feel so fortunate. So I think there was a lot of joy, but I don't think I consciously would have like named it as such. Mm. And I think that's the honest picture of that joy exists alongside pain or struggle Mm -hmm. or uncertainty and that we could still Mm -hmm. find the spaces for it. You mentioned that like part of your childhood, there was moments of magic in it. What did you delight in as a kid? Um, travel was a a big part. Um, I also delighted in spending time with my family. You know, I grew up in a predominantly white suburb in New Jersey. And, um, so a a lot of times I felt really othered 
even though I think on, you know, on the outside, I had lots of friends. I was fairly popular. Um, and I think I didn't seem like I didn't feel included, but I didn't. So I always took a lot of joy hanging out with my family and also my extended family, like some of my cousins who I'm close with and, and an aunt that I'm really close with. So that was a lot of fun. We went on some incredible family vacations mm -hmm. growing up. So that brought me a lot of joy. Um, I also um, used to swim a lot as a kid and play tennis. And I think those things brought me a lot, a lot of joy as well. Mm, I love that. And I think what you said about having friends, but also not feeling necessarily like you fit in or you were othered, belonging is so much deeper, right? Than like just what we see yeah. on the surface or just having friends or something yeah. else about it. Yeah, there, there is, you know, I think it's that, that word belonging, I think is so important. And um, I was having a really cool conversation with um, uh, Dr. Raj Balkaran um, last, last Friday, as a matter of fact, and we were talking about, um, he was asking me about like being a seeker, like spiritually. And I think when you grow up, black in the United States, you don't have like this direct connection that you can draw a straight line to, to like your people or your lineage. Um, I, I think subconsciously, I always felt a little untethered. Mm -hmm. And so that sense of belonging, I think was really important. And my, my dad died almost um, two years ago. Mm -hmm. And when he died, my sister gave us for Christmas, um, ancestry.com. So we did mm -hmm. our ancestry. And I didn't, I didn't realize how emotional I, I got sort of finding out where I came from. And I think that that's always been a theme that I, and I couldn't even name it as such. I think until recently that I've always been looking to find a place where I felt connected or seen, whether it was through sort of being a woman and, and, and how that is defined um, and how, and being black and being queer, like all of these things um, I've always been searching for, but I think I always did feel at home um, with my family. Yeah, and, and longing for a sacred sense of roots. Yeah. Because you feel you felt othered or were searching for this sense of belonging, did that help you sort of navigate being uniquely who you are in the world? Did that sort of force you to step into your truth? Yeah, I think um I think it was that and also my parents independent themselves so I think they instilled that in us um which I think maybe bit them in the butt with me anyway because I pushed back a lot as a kid um <laughs> and, and, but they raised me to question and ask questions and and you know um and so I think that that also was definitely a big part of it but I think there's so many things that I think led me on a path, but I definitely think not feeling at home completely in my neighborhood, right? Mm -hmm. Like in, in my immediate surroundings definitely was a huge influence and not just me finding belonging, but also making sure that other people felt like they also belonged at home with me. Um, and I realized over the years that that was so important for me, no matter what, no matter what I was doing. I, I remember, um, I worked at a, a bookstore, Barnes, I worked at Barnes and Noble for almost two decades. And I'll never forget that there was this young man from the Philippines and he was looking for a job and he was looking for his very first job in the United States. He had just gotten paid wow. for his visa to work and um, he interviewed and his English wasn't so great. And I'll never forget one of the receiving managers was sitting in with me in the interview. And, and this guy, Steven is his name and he's, he's an amazing man. And he had this light, right? He was so, he was so energized and so mm -hmm. eager to work. And he had read a lot, but was having some trouble articulating his thoughts because he didn't, English was not his first language. Mm -hmm. And the receiving manager who was from the Bronx um, and also had his own struggle sort of fitting into what he thought a manager should look like at Barnes and Noble um, was like, oh, Nika, you're going to hire this guy? Like, he doesn't speak English really well. You're going to put him on the sales floor. Like, are you crazy? Mm -hmm. I was like, yo, dude, you needed a shot. We all need a shot. Yes. We all need this sense of belonging. And now that I think about it, I'm so glad we're having this conversation. His joy sparked something in me. Mm. And that sense of we all need some place to be. I'm even getting a little emotional thinking about it because then he went like home on vacation and he brought me back this shell 
that mm-hmm. had my name carved on it. And I Aww. have it on my altar to this day. And, and yeah, I think it's, I think it's that like wanting everybody to feel at home. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm so glad we're talking. Uh, this is making yeah. me feel so good. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like I have like goosebumps from that. And as we were talking earlier, I feel like obviously my experience is different than yours. Everyone's is different, but going through my own sense of pain, our own sense of not belonging made me overflow with compassion. Cause when you know what it feels like to not feel at home or to not feel like you belong, I feel like it does want, make you want to like reach out and make sure other people have that feeling too. So it, it changes everything. Uh, yeah. you, you know, you also mentioned, you know, you worked at Barnes and Noble for a while and I was, I was listening to you on the, the finding refuge podcast. Oh. Uh, yeah, it was oh, so good. <laughs> and, and you described this sort of threshold moment. I think you called it like an eat, pray, love moment. And so I'm, I'm fast forwarding, but you were in a hot yoga class in Manhattan. I think you said you were 40 years old and suddenly that you realize that you don't know what you want to do with the rest of your life, but the job that you had in that moment, it was not it. Can you describe that moment that like almost break or threshold that you experienced? Yeah, I, I will never, I will never forget it. It's I'm grateful that I had that, that moment at the time. It didn't feel that way. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, I had, I had quit my job. I, at the time I was no longer working for Barnes and Noble. I got another job at a telecom company. Um, this really big, fancy job, signing bonus, lots of money, more money than I ever thought that I would probably make. And I failed spectacularly and got fired. Um, and I had never sort of failed at anything. And that was really embarrassing. And I had a lot of shame and then got another job with a fitness company and, um, and hated it and realized that I no longer wanted to do the thing that I was doing. So, um, uh, my father is somewhere, he's about to laugh right now. Cause I, I don't, I, I, I never told him this when he was alive, but, um, I told everybody in my life that I got fired again and, and in actuality, I quit. And I really quit my boss because, um, she was really making my life quite miserable. Um, and I, I, I walked away from my job. Like we were doing this visit at a club and I was really sick and, um, I, I had a a temperature, I had the flu and I really shouldn't have been at work, but you know, this, this capitalism, this grind culture, I showed up to work and, and I remember looking at her and uh, I said, I'm going to go. And she said, we're not done. I said, Oh, well, I'm done. <laughs> and I left and I never went back. Like wow. I just, I, it's insane. Like it's not anything I think I recommend because I didn't have, <laughs> I didn't have a safety net, but I kind of just snapped mm. and decided to tell everybody that I got fired because um, I wasn't brave enough to tell people that I stood up for myself. I just wow. wasn't in a position to, so it was easier to, it was easier to say that somebody took my job away from me rather than I was taking um, a leap and, and some having some faith in myself. So fast forward, I started going to yoga like every day because I, you know, I didn't have a job. And so <laughs> I ended up in this hot yoga class and, and the teacher, her name is Catherine Price. Um, we were in chair pose, you know, hot yoga in New York, like bodies are on top of each other. It's so mm-hmm. sweaty and super gross if you think about it. Um, and like sweats flying around my arms are up. I, I'm in chair pose. And she says, you know, you can change or be comfortable, but you can't do both things at the same time. Mm. And I, I burst out into tears. Like I burst out into tears and I was like, what? And then I knew at that, at that moment that nothing would ever be the same. And I didn't know how, and I didn't know what was going to happen or what I was going to do. But I got into my car a couple of days later and I drove down, drove down to my parents' house. Um, in South Carolina. And I remember crying to my dad, like, I don't know what I want to do. And he said, well, let's figure it out. So we just spent a couple of days just like talking. I know, Mm -hmm. I know. Right. Like who can just do that? And he was like, okay, well, let's figure it out. Like, you know, you, you are young, you can still, you can, you can do something. And so I, I I got my yoga teacher certificate and then I became Mm -hmm. a massage therapist and I really trusted. And because I had parents who allowed me to think bravely and courageously, I, I could lean into the unknown Mm -hmm. and let things naturally unfold. And it was a gift. And so, Uh, you know, here I am. Yeah. yeah, I was going to say, it's a gift. I feel like when you have people who are surrounding you, who make you feel safe to lean into the uncertainty, Mm -hmm. it's okay to Mm -hmm. be in that in between, to be in limbo, to be figuring it out. Uh, It makes it 
easier to go through that journey. And not, not that it's easy, but it feels maybe more nourishing or safe to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and, the, and I recognize the privilege. I recognize the yeah. privilege that I had being able to do that, that yeah. I didn't have home insecurity or food mm-hmm. insecurity. Um, you know, that was huge. And I think that's also what led me to working with um, populations who are um, historically ignored and marginalized because I recognized that I had an opportunity to do things that maybe other people couldn't. Mm-hmm. And how could I use that privilege to, you know, like move things out of the way for other people? Yeah. Um, because we're, we're not in this alone, right? Mm-hmm. Like I didn't get to do this alone. Like people were like, oh, it was so brave that you, you know, you left yeah. a career midlife. And yeah, I don't know if it was brave. I think it was fortunate. Mm. That, you know, I had friends who were supportive and who were like, yeah, go for it. And family who was like, yeah, you can do this. We got you. Like, we got your back. Like, that's a privilege. Mm. And so I guess, you know, in in that belonging, that sense of belonging, that I want to be that safety net for people, even if it's just having somebody realize that they they can learn how to rely on themselves and give themselves nurturing so they too can understand that sense of belonging inside your own skin. Mm, yeah, the, when you belong to yourself. Yeah. And I, I think it can be both. I think it could be both brave and fortunate because both of those mm-hmm. things can be true at once. Absolutely. And I wanna, yeah, and I want to dive into your, your work currently in a moment, but I do mm-hmm. want to go back to something you said before when you said the second time you said that you, you told people you were fired because that felt like... I don't know what word used, but safer, easier than telling people that you stood up for yourself. Can Mm -hmm. you talk about that for a moment? Yeah. You know, I I was so caught up for a very long time. And um, my father was very successful professionally and financially. Um, He provided a life for us that um, people could not even dream of, quite Mm -hmm. frankly. My mother was an incredible stay-at-home mom who was an inspiration in so many ways culturally um, um, and in, in so many ways provided this this life and so but and also I think also in the background because both things can be true I felt very driven um, mm-hmm. uh, to be financially successful because my father was like my idol and so I wanted to be financially successful. So I can say like, yes, these sacrifices that you did were not in vain. Um, I can make a lot of money. I can show up professionally. I can, you know, think that I have to like break down and, 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 and break through glass ceilings. Mm-hmm. So I was really hooked on stuff mm-hmm. um, and making a lot of money. And I had a fancy condo with all of the trappings and an expensive salary and would fly off on vacations at the drop of a hat and, and really nice clothes and all this other shit that um, I thought was really important. Mm. And so to say that I was walking away from that felt um, stupid, mm. truthfully. If I felt, yeah. it felt stupid. Yeah. Why would I do that? Why would I walk away when I was like on the threshold mm. of being able to step into some real capitalistic success? Like, mm-hmm. why would I do that? And I actually thought, am I going crazy? I'm walking away from my quote unquote prime earning years and I'm going to go what? Like be a yoga teacher, like <laughs> making $25, $30 a class. Like, am yeah. I insane? I gave up my, my condo. Mm. I started to rent again. I, you know, I gave up my car and gave up Well, my car was taken away in Sandy, but I never got another oh, wow. one. And I gave like, I, I gave up a lifestyle and walked away from things that um, for at first felt like foolish that, Mm -hmm. you know, and like, what, why am I doing this? So I think I was embarrassed to say that I was because I I wasn't sure what I was leaning into. I just know I couldn't work for this person anymore. Mm -hmm. Like I couldn't work for her anymore. There were a couple of things that really just was like, I can't do this. Like it's, it was eating at me too much Yes, that (laughs) it was more like, I didn't have an option. It wasn't like I was even making a choice. Mm -hmm. I was like, I can't do this anymore. Yes. So I just have to stop. And I'd already been fired before. So to hit bottom again, didn't feel so scary. And I think that's the incredible thing sometimes about, about struggle. Like when you real, I realized at that moment, well, shit, I, it's not going to be worse than what happened before. I got a job before I'll get a job again. So why not? Mm. Mm. 
Oh, I, I just, I feel like I needed that, all that, everything that you just said right there. So thank you. <laughs> uh, how do you, how do you go from, you decide you're going to get your yoga teacher certificate and mm-hmm. how does that lead you eventually into Rikers and like walking into volunteer there for the first time? Yeah, I think it ties in with that whole idea of feeling really um, fortunate. I, there was a yoga studio that I took a lot of classes at that was literally around the corner from where I lived. Mm. Um, and uh, the owner of that studio was starting to transition to teaching. She was, she's an artist and a yoga teacher. And so she gave me a lot of her classes. And so I started teaching a lot right away. And as a yoga teacher, it's kind of unheard of. Like I was teaching kind of right off the bat, like over 20 classes a week, which is a oh, lot. Wow. Yeah. So I very quickly felt like, okay, well, starving. And so I, I realized that when in my old life, I didn't do a lot of mentoring or, or service work or karma work, which I wanted to do. So I was like, I want to sort of give back because I feel like yoga gave me the practice gave me so much. It felt mm-hmm. like I, I was starting to understand interdependence right away, even though I, I don't think I, I named it that either, but I knew that this, this was a relationship that could only grow if I contributed. Yeah. So I started to look around and um, where would I do this work? And I, I talked to my cousin who, um, you know, I have a lot of respect for. She's the one who said it. She was like, have you ever thought about teaching in jail? And so I, I, I always say like, I wish I had some sort of beautiful revelation, but I didn't, it was a conversation. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's a good idea. So, mm. so I looked around and, and I found this nonprofit that was um, going inside Rikers and I hooked up with the founder and, and went in. And from the moment that I went in, I realized that, oh, you know what? Like there's something here. I felt mm-hmm. called in that moment. It wasn't yeah. before, but it was once I went in, I felt very called to, mm-hmm. um, to do this work. And I knew I yeah. needed to be there. And I talk about kind of like a year or two later, I was teaching a class in a dorm at Rikers Island, which is a jail in New York City for those who are listening who don't know. And it's really notorious. It's really violent. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's, it's a real miserable place, frankly. Um, and I was teaching a class in the women's jail and there were a whole bunch of folks. We were in a big circle. We were about to do class and people had gotten to know me and somebody said, you know, have you ever been in jail or have you ever done time? And everybody like looked at her like, hey, you're not supposed, there's unspoken things. You're not supposed to ask if you've ever been in jail before. And then, but she said it. And so then everybody's like, well, have you? And I was like, no, you know, I haven't. And someone said, well, it seems like you have because it seems like you made some prisons for yourself. Mm. And I was like, whoa. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You did me so clearly. I felt real naked. I felt real naked in that moment. And I realized that that's, this idea of teaching and, and sharing space with folks was about creating community mm-hmm. and allowing yourself to be seen so you could see other people. And oh yes. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, it's not like people ask me questions or say like, oh, people inside must really be grateful for the work that you're doing. It's like, <laughs> shit, no, I'm grateful. Yeah. Like I'm <laughs> grateful. And, and like, I'm grateful for the lessons that I get. And the teachers that that show up for me every day when I go to work, because this is not sort of top down or one sided. Oh, yeah, I I feel that so completely. I remember the first time I ever just wrote a letter to someone in prison. I remember writing to her and saying, I want you to know I see you and I hear you and you're not alone. I felt like that's what I wanted her to feel. And but what I missed was it was a human relationship that developed. So Mm -hmm. I felt so seen and so heard and because that's mm-hmm. what happens when you create true community and so I I feel that in, in a different way um when you you know when you walked in or you started volunteering in in Rikers did you have any preconceived notions about who the people inside would be or even who the people who worked there were I didn't have preconceived notions about the people who are inside and I I think that's because you know I think part of it may be because I'm, I'm black and queer I think part of it is because um I, I had socially um, conscious parents and grandparents who were politically active. Um, I had preconceived notions about the people who worked there for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, they were on the other side. They were, uh, they were all fucked up people who were mm-hmm. uh, keeping this machine going. Like, I won't even lie, that was my thought. 
So I thought of myself as like this, this savior going in, like, right. you know, with my, <laughs> me and my yoga mat were the swords that were going <laughs> to knock all this down. So stupid and reductive. Um, yeah. But I soon learned that some people are not great. And mm. I avoid even to this day when I go in, cause you can, I can feel like they're not great people. Um, and I also met some really fantastic people mm-hmm. who are um, trying just to do the best that they can. And, and yeah. frankly, most of the people are in between just trying to have a job, Yes, right? Yeah. Like it's dirty work. There's this new book out called Dirty Work or Dirty mm-hmm. Jobs talking about, um, oh, and I can't remember the author's name. I was just listening it to on NPR um, about people who take jobs that other people don't want to take. Um, because they have to. And I think being a corrections officer could be classified as one of those jobs mm. or working as a mental health counselor or a nurse. Some people do it because they do see the service in the work and some people do it because it's a job that they need. And um, some people are just trying to do the best that they can. But I do think that I, I have met some incredible folks and mm. I had to see beyond um an us them attitude, which yeah. is really hard on a lot of days. It, it really, it really is very mm. challenging on a lot of days to do that. And it makes it very gray and it makes mm. it very uncomfortable for me to hold that space yeah. on yeah. days that I just want to yell and scream and know that I can't because could I potentially be put, put somebody in harm's way who's incarcerated? Um, and there's a lot, a lot to balance and hold. Mm. And I think that's, part of the work of holding space in the grayness that mm-hmm. I think I used to think life was way more black and white. And, and as you get into some of these things, you realize it's not. And, and you mentioned the, the job of a correctional officer. I remember going into a prison once in Virginia and it was, it was July, it was like a hundred degrees outside and he was walking me in. I was like going in as a journalist and I just thought he asked me like how I was doing and I asked him how he was doing and he said just like oh you know just trying to get by like just like you know you kind of I was like almost I wasn't worried about meeting the people inside I was worried yeah. more actually about the COs and then I realized like mm-hmm. well some of them are just trying to do their job or just like trying yeah. to earn a living or just get through um but I want to you know because we were you said what's energizing you is joy and I think the grayness of that so Joy is probably not something that people would typically associate with a jail, particularly Rikers. Mm-hmm. There have been campaigns to close Rikers. And like you mm-hmm. said, it's been known as like a violent place. Where, how do you find joy? Like in what mm-hmm. moments? Or can you give us an example of what spaces or moments you found joy in your work there? Yeah, I, yesterday, um, I, 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 can, I can talk about it. Um, I, it, people one-on-one and I also teach, teach group classes, but most of the work that I do is one-on-one. So I have sessions with folks in my office and it can be yoga, it can be meditation. Sometimes it's mindful conversation. I like to end all of my sessions with some aromatherapy if people want, because there's so many terrible smells in jail. It's nice to (laughs) smell something nice. Um, But it's when I see folks um, smile Mm -hmm. um, and and it's in the moments when I feel like I'm having a private session with somebody that could have been outside, right? It's like mm-hmm. moments when I, I'm teaching a class and it feels like I'm having like a one-on-one session, a one-on-one asana class with someone. Mm-hmm. And we're working on like handstands or headstands mm-hmm. and uh, like the, the burst of laughter. Everybody in the clinic talks about all of the laughter that comes out of my office. Like you can <laughs> hear it. Like moments of like rolling around or somebody has lower back pain from the beds that are really awful. So we're like just rolling around on the floor and we look like two people who are having a slumber party, you know? <laughs> um, and sometimes, you know, I'm, I'm having a session we've been rolling around on the floor and then we stop and we like, are just laying on our bellies, like just talking about something. And mm. it looks like so out of place from where yes. we are. And that's, that's the joy. And that when people tell me like, oh, I've been looking forward to this all week, or this is my favorite part of the week, or sometimes I forget that I'm even in jail when I'm with you. Mm-hmm. Um, like that, that's the, that's the joy. Or mm-hmm. I hear too about someone who's new to working with me, who has decided that they want to sign up for meditation because somebody else told them what a good mm-hmm. time that they were having. There's like all these like, you know, low key yoga teachers now who are like teaching classes upstairs in housing areas because 
somebody's learned to pose and now they're oh, doing it, it with other people. Like yeah. those are the things that are just really incredible and that make me realize that that love um, can can bring it all crashing down. It mm. really can. It can. And and it I used to think it was trite. I didn't want to even say these things out loud for many years because I felt like it seemed too corny or goofy or naive. But I do believe that when we honor those things in each other and ourselves, it can like break down walls. It really can. Mm. And I think that's, that's how I find it. And I see it. I see it a lot. Mm. Yeah. Oh, I, I don't, I don't teach, I teach yoga, but I don't teach in jails or prisons, but mm-hmm. I do find when I teach it in spaces that are unexpected where perhaps yoga was not done before that there's so much laughter, laughter erupts in a way that it doesn't in a studio. And like, those are the moments where you do silly things. And so I, I, I don't, I, I haven't done what you're doing, but I can imagine that sense mm-hmm. and, and perhaps the moments of freedom in that. Uh, and I guess I, I'm wondering, so it's okay to have joy in these spaces. Like, you know, it's almost like during the pandemic when people would ask me how it was going and I'd be like, well, actually I'm like growing mm-hmm. so much. And, and, mm-hmm. But I also want to be like, but there's death and there's people dying. So like, it's okay to have joy in, in spaces like a jail. Yeah, you know, it's, thank you for saying that and for lifting this up because I used to struggle with wanting to teach loving kindness meditation or gratitude practices in jail because I didn't want it to seem like I, I wanted people to spiritually bypass their own pain. Right. Um, and, and then I realized that that was my own stuff <laughs> around not wanting to own joy and, and understand that two things can exist at the same time. But I think it's incredibly important to talk about joy that we don't talk about it um, traditionally that I think joy lots of times is used to bypass some really difficult emotions. Um, and we use it to sort of cover up our own experiences and not understanding that, that joy does sometimes exist in like in conjunction with, with pain or with sorrow. Mm-hmm. But until we sort of allow that to happen, then we can't let joy sort of just exist on its own, which I think can really happen. So I think it's like the beginning of understanding that. Mm -hmm. So it is something I fully embraced, but I didn't at first. And I had to talk through that out loud. Um, And it was people like um, Cornel West, who talks about love as a politic, Mm -hmm. um, that really helped me um, stand firm and talking about love and talking about loving people Um, that I even have challenges with. And I think it was the loving kindness practice because I think I was so inclined just to talk about fighting um, and knocking things down, Mm -hmm. but that's really exhausting. And I didn't realize that in order to find my own joy, it didn't mean that I was okay with like white supremacy or the patriarchy um, or oppression or homophobia if if I didn't use the word fight. But I realized if I unhooked from that pain that it caused me, that that's when I could stand in my own joy. So I have to talk about it in order to do that, in order to transcend it. Mm, yeah, and you talk about this love or as a politic, Cornel West. I'm also even thinking Martin Luther King Jr. It was the beloved community. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, yeah. it, was, it was love. So, and, yeah. and like you said, I always have a tendency to like want to knock things down, want to break things, but I'm starting to realize that change can be softer sometimes or that mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be or that joy can be your resistance and thinking about like Audrey Lord, like, yes, like self-care. Do you want to talk about that? Like, (laughs) yeah, it's, it's really powerful. And it's, it, it will, I think it still makes me emotional because I didn't want to lean into my own softness because so much of being underestimated and, and, and historically ignored and overlooked makes you hard. And mm-hmm. you think that that hardness you think becomes like the skin. And then it, it isn't until you realize in those moments of safety and of tenderness that you can let yourself be soft that you realize like, whoa, there, that's the freedom, right? Mm-hmm. That's the freedom there that I can be soft with myself that I don't mm-hmm. have to do this all of the time. And, you know, up until I think, a Taylor, I used to talk about the safety of being safe in your own home. 
Mm. Um, and then realizing, well, that's not even really safe either. And yet, and yet you, I still need to find that. I still need mm. to find that within myself and within my community. Um, and, and in the world, whether it's in nature or being in the park or sitting outside or, or just letting the breeze, fall, you know, touch my skin, um, letting myself cry when I need to, or laugh when I need to, like that's, that's been transformative for me. And it's not something that, um, traditionally, I think, um, people who are marginalized are, are allowed to do, um, or given permission to do. So giving ourselves permission to do that, that's, that's the transformation. And I think that's the liberation. Mm, yeah. That's the resistance or that's the revolution. I feel yeah. like, yeah. And yeah. I know you've talked about being an activist or not wanting to label yourself an activist. Uh, that like, you're saying that people don't have to label themselves an activist in order to make a difference. What do you What do you mean by that? Or explain that. Yeah, I I think that when we just show up for ourselves authentically and wholly in whatever way that is, and when we can honor ourselves in the moment, that can be enough to create change in the world. And often we look for something to catalyze us to, to, to show up. And we, and and I think sometimes we're fooled into thinking that we need to look to someone who has a lot of charisma or who is leading, you know, and I put that in air quotes, leading us to, to make change, but the change can be for ourselves and deciding like, yeah, you know what, I'm, I'm staying home today and I'm resting Mm. because when we do that, um, we open up a whole opportunity for ourselves to, to communicate and connect with the world differently. And those ripples make change. They really do because we change the way we see ourselves. We change the way that we see each other. Um, and then we start to realize that we're, that we're all connected. Mm-hmm. That leads to lasting change. It, it really yes. does. That's how, you know, like that's how the system will crumble. Um, mm-hmm. It's not knocking down the system. I think it's changing the way that we see each other, because mm-hmm. when we do that, then we will no longer allow people to be enslaved in certain systems because mm-hmm. we'll see those person, we'll see those people as being ourselves. Mm. Oh, I, I agree 100%. You're making me think about one of my favorite books from Alice Walker called We Are the Ones We've Been Waiting For. Yeah. I know she, yeah, she's not the only one to use that language. Yeah. Um, or actually, I was telling you, a friend had introduced me to your work. And she and I have had many conversations where she's talking about like, she wonders what her purpose is. And then she always comes back to like, what if it's just to be love? What if it's just to be herself to make that change in the world? I think like you said, knocking down the system or all those things can be overwhelming when you think, uh, you know, do I have enough money? Do I have enough charisma? Do I have enough whatever it might take when sometimes mm-hmm. it's in the small actions of showing up as you are? Yeah. And I think for me, maybe because I'm like a storyteller, I think that shapes the narrative when you start realizing what seems so unfamiliar is not as unfamiliar as you thought it was. That, mm-hmm. that Like you said, that breaks the system when we realize we are connected and our separateness is an illusion. Mm-hmm. I guess one of the things I'm also curious about is that so you have oh I have a few things like how did this job even come about was this an existing position at Rikers yeah um it's kind of, you know when you start <laughs> teaching meditation like everybody wishes they could teach meditation full-time right yeah um but it's a part of a, it was part of a pilot pilot program that's been going on for like three years now so I'm part of a wellness program at Rikers Island and I work with um, uh, an acupuncturist and a wellness yeah. coach. Um, and there were like, people have really embraced it. You know, I mm-hmm. wish, I wish this existed everywhere and not just yeah. for people who are incarcerated, but for officers and staff as well, mm-hmm. frankly. Um, because I, I do think that if we started to all take care of ourselves in systems like this, we would all start to question the system a lot more. We would, mm. right? We, we, we would, and we would start to like push back and say like, well, wait a minute. Like, why, why am I not resting? Why, why are officers allowed to work 20 hours without mm. a break? Like it doesn't make yeah. any sense. Um, so it, it, it was a test and, you know, it's still been going on for three years. So it's, I'm so grateful. Um, that I, I am able to do that. And 
at first I was, I felt a little guilty. You know, when I went in as a volunteer, um, I felt like I was sort of sticking it to the system, right? Like, <laughs> because I'm not, I don't work for the man and, you know, and all yeah. this stuff. And then when I'm offered this opportunity to like get paid and have benefits, like, I'm like, wow, this is really great. Like, it would be nice to have health insurance and yes. days off and look <laughs> at that. Right. And, and, and not sort of struggle for a little while. And what does that mean? What does that mean now that I'm a part of, you know, the whole machine because mm -hmm. I am, and it's something that I struggle with every, literally every single day. Yeah. that I am a part of the machine because I get paid and, and I struggle. Should I keep doing this? Should I not? But if I'm not there, then this work, you know, of course somebody else would do it, but what does that mean? And mm. it's a, it's a struggle, but I think as long as I'm asking myself those questions, um, I'm still doing the work. I think the moment that I fall into that, that lull and that rut, mm. um, that's when I need to stop. Like, that's when mm. I, I really need to ask myself some questions. Like, are you, are you causing harm? Are you helping? Or are you hurting? You know, mm. you sense where I was going. Cause that was going to be my next question about being part of the system and how that makes you feel, but also yeah. recognizing that you can clearly, it seems like you are creating transformation or that laughter is, is that revolutionary thing that's still happening even from inside. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I struggle. I, you know, I don't know if I could do this forever. Cause I, I do, yeah. I do think I don't like being part of the system. I don't. Um, and it is a struggle. It is a struggle that I have. Um, and yet I do feel like it's important for somebody to continue to do this work, mm -hmm. um, and to make it successful. So other people would be doing this work in all of the jails, right? Like right now, I'm just working in, in the, in, they call it the women's facility, but there's, there's a lot of trans folks who are, who are in the, the facility where I work, mm -hmm. but I feel like there needs to be a wellness team everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like the system needs to be burned down. So there isn't a wellness team, but in the meantime, right. <laughs> but in the meantime, right, there needs to be work that's done. And I think that that is the thing that I, I keep coming back to. Um, years ago when a lot of protests were happening to shut down to shut down Rikers and it is being shut down there's a timeline so who knows how long yeah. it'll actually take but I remember kind of I was on a bus I was still volunteering and I was going to teach a class and their uh, pro protesters were blocking the bridge um protesting you know Rikers and the conditions there which I agree with 100 mm -hmm. percent it's, it's it's really terrible and yet I couldn't get across the bridge to teach my class, mm. right? People who I couldn't get in touch with to let them know. People who struggle with abandonment and who don't think that you're going to come back again anyway. Mm. And me being so angry and frustrated that there are people waiting for me that mm. I can't get to now and you are stopping me from getting to them. Yeah. And I was, I was boiling over with rage and boiling over because I believe in the protest, right? Mm -hmm. These things like, these, these conflicting ideas exist kind of all of the time. And I remember some guy just like, he was yelling at lots of people who were trying to get on, like, why are you supporting them? And, and like kind of just sort of yelling in the air. And at first I was just sitting there and then I just like said back at him, like, who do you know inside? Mm. For a second. And I'm like, cause I know 50 people waiting for me. Wow. Yeah stop for a second. I'm like, yes. And I agree. We need to be shut down. And all of these family members who are trying to go visit their people mm -hmm. can't today. So yes, I get it. Mm -hmm. And understand what you do every time that you do this. I'm not saying don't, but know the implications and the impact. There are little mm -hmm. kids who don't get to see their parents today. Mm -hmm. And that matters. Yes. People are inside now. And so how do we, how do we balance that? How do we manage that? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's hard, it's yeah. hard and it's frustrating and it still needs to happen, you know? So. I, yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a yes. It's a yes. And I was actually talking to someone who's a, a lawyer in Louisiana and she was, she does a lot of work with the prison, like Angola and, and things there. And mm -hmm. she was saying that she has that same tension of like, she's an abolitionist. So she wants the system to be gone. And 
by not working to create incremental change in the system now, she feels like she's negating the humanity of the people who are caught in the grips of it in this moment. And they still have mm -hmm. lives and goals and families and dreams. Mm -hmm. And so it has to be a yes end approach, not like we're only trying to eradicate the system. Otherwise, that's it. Yeah. Absolutely. Just last night, I was going to sleep. And as I was falling to sleep, I do a lot of nights, but it was really strong last night. I thought about all of the people that I work with who are sleeping in their cells or in dorm areas um, and just wishing them well that they're under these crappy blankets and missing. And, mm -hmm. and I have this cozy bed and with my partner and my dog and I'm so snuggled up and, and it was raining and I was mm -hmm. so comfortable and feeling a sense of heartbreak for people who are not home um, mm -hmm. and knowing that, well, I'll see them on Monday, you know? Mm -hmm. I have uh, a lightning round for you, which is just a little bit uh -huh. more playful. But before we get to this, is there anything that you haven't said? I mean, I'm sure there's so many things we can talk about. But <laughs> anything that you feel like you need to say before we move into that lightning round? No, this feels this feels sort of full. Good. Okay. <laughs> so, all right, well, we're going to move into our lightning round. My okay, first cool. question, just because you know, yoga and mindfulness. Do you have a favorite yoga pose? Headstand. Oh, headstand. Okay, so you like to sweat upside down. I, think. I do. I do. I do. <laughs> I love it. Um, all right. So it's. I keep feeling like this pandemic has been going on for what feels like twenty years. Is there like a song or something that's like getting you through? Yeah, I've been listening to a lot of Motown actually, and a oh, lot of Bill awesome. Withers. A lot of Bill Withers actually, <laughs> in, in addition to Motown. Oh, that is so unexpected and so fun. <laughs> yeah, lovely, lovely day, especially lovely day. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I'm going to have to put that on, on Spotify right after this. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, well, okay, so I'm, we're laughing right now, but what's the, the last thing that made you laugh? Um, last thing that made me laugh was actually my dog this morning. Mm -hmm. Um, I got, I, I get up very early, but I got up very early and she typically stays in bed with my partner. My partner doesn't get up as early as I do. And she'll usually sort of stay in bed with her. But this morning I hopped up and she like sat up and looked at me and like <laughs> opened her mouth and went, <laughs> like she was talking to me and I was like, what? And then she hopped off and did like downward jog, like in her little pit bull stance. And I laughed so hard that I actually thought I was going to wake up um, Andrea, my partner. Yeah. But the, I, I mean, it, it cracked me up because it was only four o'clock in the morning. Right. Um, and so we just like hopped over to uh, her food bowl and she ate. It, re it really made me laugh. <laughs> oh, I love little moments like that. There's, again, there's little moments of joy. Oh. Um, okay, the next one is the last TV show you binged and loved. RuPaul's Drag Race. Oh. I am, I'm late to the game. I have to admit, I was just talking to my mom about this last weekend. I, I, I just got into it and I'm obsessed. <laughs> Good. Anything that makes you smile. I haven't seen it, so I'm super late to the game. So now I have to like jump on the back. You have to. <laughs> it's so power. It's so powerful. <sighs> like I thought it was going to be just really superficial yeah. but it's not and it's unbelievable you will go down a rabbit hole so fast <laughs> all right I'm ready I'm ready for the rabbit hole <laughs> my next question for you I'm going to ask you to finish the sentence and the sentence starts joy is joy is right now mm. oh yes <laughs> amen <laughs> <laughs> And my last question for you is, what are you most grateful for in this moment? I'm most grateful for, for doing this, for being mm -hmm. able to share space and just have an authentic conversation and mm -hmm. feel, feel really grateful to be able to do this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I so appreciate that and feel the same way. I, I've been thinking about, I've been doing this podcast for not quite a year and every time I finish a conversation, regardless of how I felt beforehand, I feel more alive. I feel yeah. like a feeling that I never feel ordinarily. And I think it's like this connection. It's so beautiful to just authentically see someone and connect. Yeah. And you just, oh, you just bring the love and just willingness to be here in the present moment. And so 
I'm grateful for you. Um, before we close, can I also say I'm grateful? Can we talk about where you're sitting right now <laughs> during this podcast? Yes. <laughs> Oh, I am, I am coming to you from uh, my car. I am double parked on a street in Brooklyn. Um, I didn't realize that my car was parked on the wrong side of the street. And, and here in Brooklyn and New York, we have alternate side of the street parking. And as I walked out to get some air before we were chatting, I had to move my car. So I'm, I'm cozily sitting in the driver's seat, drinking my coffee. Um, I'm this, I'm in my, I have this giant Ford flex and, you know, I have a sunroof. So the sun's like streaming in and I'm looking at trees and it's really great. I have like my feet up. I'm going to have to do this all the time. It's really nice. Honestly, it looks beautiful. Like you said, the sun's shining through the sunroof. I can see a little bit of trees in the background in Brooklyn, you know, it doesn't feel like crazy Manhattan, like right in, you know, the heart of the city. So I'm grateful that you're doing this from your car. Um, I will have links to everything like in the show notes, but can you tell people whether your website or where to find you on social media? Yeah, you can find me at Onika Mays on Instagram and Twitter and on Facebook. Um, And if you want to come sit with me, I have a Zoom where I offer free meditation every Monday. So if you just want to come sit and share space, it's, it's usually short. Um, yeah, so you can do that too. I think, cause I think we all deserve a chance to, to, to share space together, um, mm-hmm. especially in these times. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, well, I will definitely share space with you one Monday. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much for being here. Thank you. This is so great. Like such a great way to start my day. I'm, I'm mm. really grateful. Yes, me too. I need to know everything, who and the what and the where I need everything. Trust me, I hear what you're saying, but I like it's new what you're telling me. I'm curious, George, I hop in the Porsche, five and a horse, I'm ready for war, I'm coming for throws to turn to a ghost, I need to know everything. Now you be surprised at the info you get is by letting them talk, so I'm letting them talk. Gotta keep quiet, maneuver in science, then let them in talk up their body, another one body, that's just how it go. I got some secrets, I'm shaking the game so they stay on their toes. Stay in your lane, I to stay on the go. I came to play with the pros and act like a rookie, so they overlook me. Then I double up again, none of their nose, none of them cold. They just got lucky but never adapted, so I'm to the one if it's coming to blows. My enemies cutting it close, I let them think that they got me, but what do you know? I had them beat before we ever spoke, I'm ready for smoke. I need to know everything, who and the what and the where, I need everything. Trust me, I hear what you're saying, but I like it's new what you're telling me. I'm curious, George, I hop in the Porsche, five and a horse, I'm ready for war, I'm coming for throws to turn to a ghost, I need to know everything.